0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast, where every episode shows you all the things you didn't know about well-known fields and topics. Are you having an amazing day? Are you doing it on purpose? If not, you'd better give it some thought after today's episode with my special guest, Preston Brown. Preston is a speaker, entrepreneur, and multiple eight-figure business owner specializing in disruptive innovation and profitably scaling companies. You may also recognize him from his TikTok account, where he posts daily videos to more than 135,000 followers. Preston has, at last valuation, 15 successful operating businesses with gross revenues of over $184 million. Though, as you'll soon hear, he informed me during the show that both of those numbers have increased. He is an expert in finance, business, and real estate, and has directly advised hundreds of CEOs and entrepreneurs on how to grow and scale their companies. Let's all get rich enough to actually help people. Welcome to the show, Preston Brown.
1: Thank you, brother. Privileged to be.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad to have you on. Uh, I've been kind of binging your content on TikTok, and I don't know if that counts as research, but it was entertaining nonetheless.
1: Well, the information age is uh, over, brother. I mean, that exists sometimes in selling, but uh, if you want to do marketing, entertainment. So I'm glad that it's entertaining. That's 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 good to hear.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I'm sure that's where a lot of people are going to be familiar with you from. But uh, for anyone that's not, tell the audience a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, my my name is Preston Brown, and uh, my my mission, if you will, is to help people understand that money and finances are easy. I'm a 39-year-old entrepreneur in El Paso, Texas, which is a secondary market. It's not a Dallas or a Houston. And I did $184 million in revenue in 2020. We did more in 2021. My accountant's not giving me all the exact numbers yet, but we did $184 million with significant profit margin through COVID and That's not significant necessarily, or it's not insignificant if you have one business. But I didn't have one business. I had 13 businesses at that time. I have 18 businesses now. So with 13 companies, all of them went up in different industries. In fact, in 2021, I launched a travel agency during COVID and was so successful with bringing in new clients, millionaires, billionaires, what we're putting on magical events for during COVID. That I triggered the Tony Robbins. I triggered Tony Robbins. We got lawsuit letters from him. I think they realized it was wrong. We settled it. Thank God. And that's all over. But man, talk about one of the best compliments of my life. And all of it, brother, was through creating a formula for business, a simple formula that anyone can use that makes doing business easy.
0: That's crazy. I mean, I did not know that you'd launched like a travel business during a, a shutdown kind of a year when did all this get started? Like, when did you start just going out for yourself? Um,
1: uh, so like the entrepreneurship journey, Sure, I was an employee. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, it all probably started when I was very young origin story. If you want around money, when I was seven or eight years old, I grew up poor in a trailer park in Texas, a suburb of El Paso. And my father, Wanted to be the breadwinner of the family. Met my mother. He was a hardworking guy. My mother was a teacher, government worker. And my my father wanted to be the breadwinner. He wanted to make more money. And so he opened his own business. Didn't understand billing. Didn't understand pricing his product. Didn't understand any of that stuff. He was a genius. He was a member of Mensa, the high IQ organization, which I don't know if I qualify for that. But uh, he, he was a member of Mensa, probably one of the smartest men I've ever met. But he could never figure out money. And he opened his business and he went to work 12 sometimes 15 hours a day working and he didn't know how to build didn't know how to collect didn't know how to price his product well invariably you know what happens you know where this story goes my mom loses her job one day and my dad is not billing is not pricing correctly he is not collecting and uh the fight happens one of those big cast iron frying pans gets thrown at the wall of the trailer home sticks in the little cardboard wall falls down. I'm like seven. I don't know what's going on, but my dad is my hero. And my mom tells him these words. She says, go collect what you're owed or you're not a man. And for me, I didn't understand it, but I knew it was bad. I've never seen him fight. And I got to be the charity piece. I got to sit in the passenger seat of his old truck. We drove up to a house, not far from where I live now, actually. And uh, my dad went in and asked a man he'd done a lot of work for, for money. And I, I, my dad was like six foot four. He was the high school. He, he ran the touchdown at his high school football game. He banged the prom queen on the dance floor at prom in high school. This guy's a badass. Like I'm watching him talk to this guy. He's probably five foot nine. My dad's six foot four. He could kill him with a napkin. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening. And I'm watching my dad, who's this massive, powerful man. Start by asking, go to pleading, go to bed. And I remembered my mom's words while we're sitting there. And it's the first time for me that I'd ever felt the emotion of hatred because I realized that this man had leverage over my father. And I realized money was much more powerful than what most people realize it is. My dad compromised that day. He took a fraction of what he was owed, a fraction. We drove to the store and I had a box of ramen noodles. I will always be triggered by ramen noodles. I will not buy that shit for my kids because there was a box of ramen noodles back when they were like eight cents a a little thing. Sitting on my lap, my dad brought home groceries and he saved his relationship with my mom. And he went out and compromised his dreams and got a job the next week and shut down his business. And I felt hatred for the first time because I knew that man killed my dad's dream. I mean, realistically, my dad killed his own dreams. But for me, it, it, it triggered me because my dad didn't know how to succeed. And because he didn't know how to succeed, he didn't know simple rules, simple steps. He never got to live his dreams. I mean, life is four things, brother. It's faith, family, fitness, finance, okay? These things may not be the same thing, but if progress is happiness, they're tethered to one another. Here was my dad, put an anchor on finance. Where's he going? Fucking nowhere. And and some people have that with, you know, family. Like if you're in the middle of a divorce, stop trying to make more money. Solve your fucking problems, move on, right? And uh, that triggered me. And I, I decided I would never allow money. My God, I would never let anybody control me with money. and. And I, you know, I, through the years, became a very corporate son of a bitch. I mastered business. I mastered formulas. I mastered cause and effect. And, I, you know, I was the guy that I didn't give a shit. I would fire you. I was the, first, I was the business guy nobody would like, okay? Until uh, 2019, when my father passed away, my hero passed. He was this, like, I had two mentors. I had David Carum, one mentor, and David Brown, another mentor. David Karam, massively conservative, right-wing. David Brown, left-wing Democrat. Like, I mean, Look, I'm not political. Poly means multiple. ticks means blood-sucking arachnids. It's a root word, right? But my dad is this loving guy, this heart-centered guy. My mentor is this business guy. I'm, I'm literally a tale of two Davids. I'm learning from both of them. And, and I'm like, okay, well, where does this go? And then my dad died. Unlike everything else in business, unlike everything else that's cause and effect that you can solve, I found the first problem I couldn't solve. And my dad, who is the greatest teacher of lessons, he taught me how to work hard. He taught me how to show up. He taught me how to care. He taught me how to add value. And then he showed me that there's problems relating to money that you cannot fix. I couldn't make my mom feel better. I couldn't make my sister and brother feel better. I couldn't make myself feel better. And, And that showed me that love is the meaning of life. It's not money money's a tool no different than a hammer like you know if you want success in business everybody says oh you know money is the root of all evil well that's a stupid comment money's not the root of all evil loving money may be the root of all evil but you know if you hate money you're just as stupid as if you love money right like that's like hating a hammer or hating a chair i'm gonna hate that fucking chair i'm not gonna sit at the table. that's stupid you should have less angry reactions towards insignificant things right but when you have these tools and when you properly use them you can change lives and so Through the years, I became this entrepreneur with like seven operational companies, one robbing Peter to pay Paul to feed the other. And I developed a formula for business. Three goals, four things you measure, six things you can change. That's it. My wife and her makeup drawer, by the way, has 150 things changed. Complexity is seductive, not productive. Productivity gets you paid. Seductivity gets you fucked. And in business, we don't want to get fucked. Fun there. It's not fun in business. Okay. And uh this formula was so easy and so simple and it was just filtered for problems that I'd dump problems in the top, they'd filter out, I'd know what to do, I'd do that shit, and my business is boom. And then I got asked questions, people that I was doing well, they're like, hey, and then people said, oh, you're good at coaching, you're good at, you know, helping me figure out where my crisis is, can you help me? So I started doing it. That turned into demand where now I have a travel and coaching company where we're, we do seminars and teach business for the world's elite. We launched a new coaching company where I do group coaching for hundreds of people every day. And we're just changing people's lives in the way that they look at finance. So that's where it all started, brother.
0: And that's a a wild story, you know, from a a box of ramen noodles to over a dozen businesses turning out a heavy profit.
1: Yeah, you want to have quality problems. Let me tell you a problem I'm facing. I have to go find a CJ2 plus twin engine jet airplane help me with taxes that I'm going to have to pay this year. I have to. If I don't find the airplane, I can't maximize tax write-offs, I'm gonna give more money to the government than I should. Well, do you want that problem, or do you want the problem of, hey, I'm not earning enough money? I want people to have better problems. Problems are gifts. If you don't have problems, your life's fucking boring. If you don't have problems, you'll fight them. You'll create them. We need problems, we need challenges, but why not good problems? I used to have a problem of there's not enough money. Now I have a problem. There's too much money. And if I don't figure out how to not pay taxes, I can't go open new businesses. I can't go create new jobs. I can't go do this.
0: Yeah. I mean, what a problem to have where you're like, oh man, if I can't, if I can't maximize my tax returns, so I don't have to pay out a jillion dollars worth of, worth of tax because I made money in this country. Like that's a problem to have for sure.
1: You you're down to trigger your listeners real quick. Yeah. Go for it. All right. So I know a lot of your listeners are probably younger. So I'm going to, I'm going to pose a question and, and, and around taxes, people always get triggered around taxes. Right. And so it's kind of a fun place to start. What is the tax
0: code for? What is it for?
1: <laughs> it's a hard question, right? Yeah. So the tax code, you know, there, there didn't used to be income taxes in this country. In fact, there really were only income taxes during wartime only for the rich uh, in this country you know, until World War II when they started adding taxes on excess income to the middle classes. And what they found was it's a behavioral influence, like if you start charging people taxes on excess money here, 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 they'll invest money in certain areas, they'll buy real estate, they'll do certain things to offset taxes. So there's behavioral metrics that the government sees through taxation. And so the tax code is the government's way of telling you, hey, here's what we want you to invest in. If you invest in solar and wind, oil and gas, transportation, low-income housing, we're going to give you tax breaks, not in arrears, we're not going to send you checks like they did this last year during COVID. We're going to do it in front. You just don't have to pay taxes. And then if you look at what taxes are, they're kind of sneaky. When you have a business, there's three documents you look at like, like that are kind of the, telling the story I an mean, income statement, a balance sheet, a statement of cash flows. Well, on your income statement, it's all of your incomes and all of your expenses. Where does taxes show up on the expenses? It doesn't. It is the single largest expense you have that your bookkeeper never sees. So it's literally designed for people not to think about so that they pay in. And then for people who do think about it to create jobs. The government's only goal for for business people is productivity in a direction that benefits society, that helps the government. And who, who writes the tax code? The Congress, the Senate? Okay. Well, that if you look at that group of people is the single largest percentage of millionaires in any one or two organizations that has ever happened on earth. So they wrote the tax code so that they could be more productive and not pay taxes. And all their rich constituents to give them money rather than giving money to the IRS, so that they can get reelected, so that they can make more money. So all you have to do is read it. If you just read the tax code, or you want a simple hack and easy, quick one, "Tax Free Wealth" by Tom Wheelwright. Read that book; it will change the way people look at taxes. Well, what kills businesses? Do taxes kill business?
0: I wouldn't think so, but so, I'm sure yeah. they're they're bad. <laughs>
1: When you're growing a business, do you know what growing pains are? I don't. It's when you don't understand that a growing pain is your business got bigger, but the resources weren't there to support the larger company. So you need to invest a new resource, which means you have to expense more money to build something new within your company to create structure, organization, a firm, right? We call it an organization, not a disorganization. Call it a firm, not a limp. Okay? so if we're looking at a business that way, a growing pain is, hey, there's not enough resources to support the new size. If you have a plate that can handle 10 pounds of food and you put 20 pounds of food on it, is stuff going to be falling off the sides? Yes, you've got to invest in a bigger plate. Right. So no differently, you have to invest in your business. Well, what makes the rich rich? They invest in assets. What makes the middle class the middle class? They invest in savings. What makes the poor poor? They spend their money. So spend their money, save their money, invest their money. When the rich go out and say, okay, I have a business, I'm gonna go buy four trucks, those four trucks gave them a tax write off. If they finance the trucks, they can still write off 100% of the truck. So watch this say you buy a million dollars worth of trucks, you put 200,000 down, you write off the whole million. You would have paid 400,000 in taxes, but instead you took 200,000 out of your pocket and you saved 200,000. So if you're growing a business, you'll have 60% generally of additional expenses, and then you got to give the government 40%. If you don't use tax advantages when growing a business, your business dies because you don't have the money to eat. The tax code is designed to teach you how to be productive, to reward you for productivity so that you can grow a business so that you can be free. That's what it's designed for. Everybody thinks it's designed to take money to support the government. But when's the last time the government lived within its revenue? <laughs> they, it has nothing to do with you giving them money; they can pay for things. They'll just borrow it from themselves, or from the future, or from our children. The tax code's there to condition your behaviors, a be business owner. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. Uh, and it sounds kind of like a uh, a self feeding machine. I mean, it's it's wild. I was talking to a guy a couple episodes back who invests entirely in property, so he has uh, you know just income. I think he manages something like 6,500 different uh, rental properties. And so he's like, I don't pay taxes. He's like, "If, if you're paying taxes, like you're not paying attention. He said, I looked at the tax code and it's enormous, but there's like two pages in there that, you know, my finance guy needs to actually be aware of so that he can write off all of the expenses that I have on each property every year. And I still keep making money. So he's like, if you're paying taxes, you're just not doing it right.
1: If you get into business, you must figure out ways to invest a strong percentage of your revenue, okay? Of the revenue that would be income, you must invest a strong percentage of that, which will lower your tax burden. And by the way, the government makes more money if you lower your tax burden when you go into business. Did you know that? I did not. More money. Taxing employees, taxing self-employed people, taxing sales, taxing property. I mean, if that rich guy goes out and creates a hundred new jobs, they're going to make more money on those hundred new jobs than they ever would have on the rich guy. The skill of creating productivity is far more valued in this country, regardless of what the political elites say. Okay, like I don't like Democrats, I like Republicans. I mean, you know, there's two ways to pain, right? Ignorance is one way to pain. That's like, hey, I don't know that's going to hurt me. And then I do it and then it hurts me. And hopefully I learn. But if I don't, now we have a new way to pain. Hey, I know that's going to hurt me. I'm still going to do it anyway. And I get the pain. That one's called stupidity. You have ignorance and stupidity. These are the only two ways towards pain. So politician, politics, Democrats, stupid. Republicans, stupid. What are they interested in? Power they're going to go out and say oh the rich don't pay their fair share. Okay, well did you know the top, you know, 10% of the population income wise paid 89.8% of the taxes. So did the rich pay their fair share? I mean, fucking 90% is is that fair? 10% paid 90% like what 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 do we really want? The bottom 50% literally didn't pay anything. The middle class paid very little. The top 10% paid 90%. So it's not whether somebody pays their fair share or not. It's let's go create political narrative to get people angry. And that's why taxes is something we shouldn't talk about. Let me tell you what, if you want to be successful, and this is one thing I want your listeners to do, go talk about the shit everybody tells you not to. Go talk about the shit everybody tells you not to. What is different about us as individuals should be what bonds us. We learn from each other's uniquenesses. Instead of bonding We've created a society where our differences create bondage. We are, and bondage, if you want to look at the word, I'm not talking about late night porno. I'm talking about fucking slavery. Everybody is like locked in this slavery of hating one another because we're different. Oh, if you're poor, hate rich people. Oh, if you're black, hate white people because they're not white anymore. We're privileged now, brother. I mean, come on. That's racism based on skin color. No different than. Anybody saying anybody is bad because of anything different about any anything is, is a negative. Our political elites go out and tell us to all hate each other instead of telling us to listen to each other, telling us to learn from each other. Why? So they can get power. So let's just go right back to the tax code there. Why not listen about it? Why not learn about it? Why not pay attention instead of paying
0: taxes? Yeah, it definitely, makes, it. definitely makes sense. It's a simple... Uh... A simple road to hoe, so to speak, where it's like, Hey, we gave you a good success guide here, and then you let everyone distract you from it. And now you don't realize that it's sitting right in front of you.
1: Do you want to know how you get people into business? Cause I'd love for your young audience. To...
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: All right. So if every, every business guru out there, and I completely disagree with all these gurus. You've probably heard this. Have you heard you've got to hustle your way to success?
0: yeah of course the rise and grind
1: fucking lie it's absolute bullshit it's there to sell tickets it's there to sell coaching packages i do not need you to come coach with me you can if you want like i will give you all of the information to anyone that asks free i'll give you a bunch of documents you plug those into your business you can have it all for fucking free if you want me to coach you that's fine too but that's the personal trainer not the gym the gym should be free pay the trainer because you're using their time but the gym should be fucking free all of these guys go out and they create this spin. They're like the politicians of the business world. Are, are, are you married? You ever dated anyone? I am married, yeah. You're married, okay. So so me, I'm a married guy, right? When my wife walks into the room in a bikini or lingerie, I'm not like, oh man, I gotta fucking hustle. I better find a way to step up to this. I'm just passionate. I'm excited about the situation. I'm in love with her, she looks good, and I don't have to think about hustling, right? Passion is cause, hustle is effect. If you want someone to get into business, to be successful in business, what they need to do is find a problem they are passionate about solving. If there's a problem they are passionate about solving, yes, the hustle will get them there, but only because they're passionate enough to never feel like they're working. If my wife walks in in lingerie, there's never a point after what's about to happen that I'm like, God, I work so fucking hard. I fucking love that work. It's the labor of love. The labor of love is something you would do for free. When you are paid to do shit, you would do for free. Then you have the amount of hustle necessary. You won't burn out. You won't pour from an empty cup. You won't run out of steam. That is how you get somebody into business. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. And I love it because it's the, you know, the old adage where you're like, if you do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life you know, you're just enjoying yourself. And that's when I started doing this podcast is so I was like, oh, you know, there's somebody out there that'll, that'll make a show where every day is with a different guest and they, you know, you can just learn something different without hearing a bunch of repeating information. And then it turns out no one did it. And so I was like, all right, I guess I'm buying a mic. I guess I gotta go, I gotta go talk to some people and figure it out.
1: And success leaves clues, brother. So if a business is there to solve a problem And we know that to get into business, all you have to do is find a passionate thing, a a problem you're passionate about solving, right? So the business is there to solve a problem. And all you have to do to find a business that can set you free is get a problem you're passionate about. Then a sale to a customer would be a solution to their problem, right? So let's link that. If you sell something, it's a solution. Okay, so a sale is a solution to a problem a customer had. So when you're solving somebody's problem, are you helping them? Yeah. We have this entire identity around selling is negative. Selling is a win. Selling is a positive. If you're helping someone, what's wrong with selling? So how do you become a very successful business as an operator? Not as an owner. Like in my companies, I don't have to go to work anymore. Okay, like there's there's employee There's startup, there's operator, then there's owner. Another lie that all these gurus tell you, oh, you got to become an owner. You got to go open a business so you don't have to work. That's so stupid. Open a business so that you work and then do what makes the business exceptional. Be exceptional. Solve that problem in a way that nobody else has ever solved it. Actually do the shit for your podcast that nobody else does. Actually get the experts that nobody else gets. You want any customer on earth, here's how you get them find out what they want, go get that shit, give it to the customer, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, do that shit over and over again. You give customers what they want. They will keep coming back. They'll be like, holy shit, this guy's a fucking genius. I'm going to keep going back to him. He's giving me what I want. Okay. And so by the way, for all of your guests that are listening, this is only for him about his podcast. This won't work for any of you. Okay. Just for him. Like this is unique advice only to him. No one else should find out what a customer wants. Go get that and give it to him.
0: Yeah, one quick. Um, and how much of that, you know, as you've started coaching people and you've started helping people figure out their glaring problems, how much of the advice you give is like ever changing and it has to to follow a trend, and how much of it is just like a timeless lesson that needs to be boiled down into something you know that they can perceive.
1: Ninety percent is a formula; that doesn't ever. Ninety percent, okay. And I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you an example. So getting into business and being a startup and just bumping around, running into walls, learning shit. You took a risk, right? And then you become exceptional. You become better than everybody else. But what's the problem with being exceptional? you got to make exceptions. you got to make exceptions the entire time. You're making exception after exception, after exception. Does that sound good? If your engine in your car made exceptions on the way to the grocery store, you'd never get to the grocery store. Okay. That thing is optimized. All right. So, when you want to go from employee to self-employed or, or operator business, in other words, you have a job within your company, to owner, you have to remove exceptional and become optimal. Well, this is a timeless formula. Everybody, nobody goes from I'm not employable to I'm optimal, or I'm, I'm, I'm an employee to optimize big business. Very few, I mean, maybe there's some unicorn out there, or some lucky sperm club asshole that invested 10 million to buy an operating business. Sure, fine, that guy wins. He's the exception, not the rule. If you grew up like me, if you're a broke motherfucker from a trailer park, wants to be rich, you're going to start off here. You're going to go here. You're going to go here. You're going to go here. Nobody like beams up to the top of the staircase. You walk every step, maybe sometimes skip one or two. And it's all a formula, brother. Everything's a formula. It's called an organization, not a disorganization.
0: And that makes sense. And it, it touches on a really good video that while I was doing my binging, I ran into of yours. It seems like it applies so much to today whenever everyone anyone opens like Instagram, you know, separating people who are good at something from somebody who is lucky. So how do you spot, you know, those lucky people? So you don't end up following the wrong example.
1: So this is a time old lesson and you know, it's actually a biblical lesson. If you're religious, you know, take it as biblical. And if you're not religious, ignore the fact that it's biblical too, and just use it because it's right. Measure a tree by its fruits. Trends are your friends. Data-driven decision making. So when when you get into business, okay, or or frankly, anything, they're called data. There's this thing called feedback, okay? And you need to have a metric where you're utilizing feedback. Like, Like I will not hire a manager in any of my companies. I only hire measures. Why? Because they're utilizing data, getting feedback, and making decisions. They're not telling me what they feel is right or hey you know we saw this guy over here do something one time and so let's copy that shit because one time could be a lucky motherfucker i don't want to copy a lucky motherfucker sustainable luck is something i'll copy what is sustainable luck well that's formula when opportunity meets preparedness but there's opportunities everywhere there's always opportunities nobody in business dies because of lack of opportunity they more often than not die because they're choking on too much of it they have so much opportunity that they can't fucking handle all of it they do a piss poor job their customers get pissed they lose reputation they go out of business so dude it's all a formula all of it
0: yeah it sounds like you know you run into all of this opportunity and you're like well how do i do 10 things at once And instead, you should put nine of those things down and focus on the one that's most important. Something you can handle that's not just going to like overfill the plate. To use the earlier analogy.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And once you realize that data-driven decisions are the way to go, I mean, let's let's look at a trend. Okay, the largest companies in the New York Stock Exchange for decades were the oil companies, right? That's not the case anymore. Now, the top four or five companies are twenty-five percent of American capital, like one in like 4 to $5 dollars is held by Apple, Google, Facebook. I mean, like, like think, think of this, that like, that's such a huge segment of society. All of those are data companies. If data is more valuable than anything else on earth in the New York stock exchange, it's a clue. Okay. And we should utilize that clue. What can we measure? What should you measure in a business? Can you measure the culture? Can you measure the way the team feels? Mm -hmm. what about clarity can we measure communication of course you can there's ways to simply measure communication i build people formulas for measuring culture measuring communication measuring capacity like say say like I'll, i'll give you an example of capacity one of my businesses is a home building company right if i sell 30 homes a month but i only have the ability to build 20 homes a month is my sales process lying to 10 customers per month about what I'm capable of delivering? Well, shouldn't I adjust? If I'm lying to them, I'm intentionally lying. Most people are like, oh, those sales are so good. You're selling 30 a month. Yeah, but you can deliver 20. That's 10 pissed off people at some point. 30 minus 20 equals 10 people that didn't get what they paid for, what they agreed to. A sale is a fucking promise. So what should I do? But what if I raise my prices so I can slow down sales? Would my margins get better? Oh, yeah. Why? Because I was measuring capacity. Capacity is four flows. If you eat food, brother, what happens to the food? Does it become energy in your body? Does it become a protein that builds like a muscle fiber or heals a wound, right? Or it becomes shit. In other words, if you eat food, there's a flow to the food, right? If we're going to flow food, Shouldn't capacity flow too? Yeah, I mean, you got lead flow, marketing. And if you understand that the information age is over, it's the entertainment age now, baby. we got to entertain people. Well, what, enter- what entertains them? What already entertained them, entertains them now. Controversy. Like it or hate it, Trump got elected because of controversy. You know? Guess what? He also got elected. Why? Because of controversy. So double-edged sword, don't cut yourself, right? But what about sex appeal? People are entertained by sex appeal. I mean, I see a hot woman in an advertisement. I'm interested. Not necessarily that I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to go buy that. But I might stare at the sign for one second longer because there was a beautiful person there and then read the words on the sign. Sex appeal works. What about current events? People are interested in current events. It's what everyone's talking about. How about humor? How about heartstrings? If you piss someone off, like all of my posts on social media blow up, not because people like my content. That helps. But it's the haters that always get it started. There's always a trend that every social media influencer will tell you. You piss people off first by telling them the truth. They're not even pissed at you. They're pissed at the fucking truth. This is a stupid person, by the way. Then they sit in their mother's basement and they keyboard attack you and they get really mad and they blow up the algorithm. Haters are fucking awesome. Then all the people that needed your content start seeing it. They're like, fuck yeah, I'm going to go check that out. So that's. Lead flow, that's marketing, next flow, sales flow. Well, what is a sale? It's a solution. So what should you talk about? The person's problem. Why? Because what are the only two influences in the world? Well, pain is an influencer, right? And pleasure, other influencer. Okay, so if you talk about where they're at and why they need your product, you're elegantly elevating their pain. You're letting them know, like, hey, look, I understand where you're at. I have a with you. I get it. I also have a problem that can solve that problem. Sales is elevating pain without being a dickhead. Okay. You got a double edged short there. Like if you just go talk about their problem, like an asshole, you're an asshole. But if you elevate their pain elegantly and build rapport, people bond during pain and then they buy your product because they trust you and you get them out of pain and you deliver on your promise. And then there's deal flow delivery. You must have the ability to deliver. Okay. What if you started this podcast and you were inconsistent? You're like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to do a podcast. Every week, and you promise that to all your customers. And then you started showing up like every four months, but randomly. Would it would it blow up? No, you'd be screwed. You must have the ability to deliver. And then last one, cash flow. Can you measure these things? If you get data driven decisions through these four flows, you also get freedom, and you live with that. Like I own two fucking airplanes. I'm going to buy a third to get out of taxes. I like my problems. I want you to have my problems, brother.
0: Yeah, I mean that's a good problem to have. It's interesting. The way like an outrage algorithm works in the internet, because it's like, if you pissed off, you know, 10 out of every 30 people, like your content's going to explode, but at the same measure, when you're talking about selling houses, if you piss off 10 out of every 30 people, like your business is going to suffer really heavily because there's 10 people out there that are just making it suffer.
1: I tell you a story. Yeah. I bought a failing home building company. okay? Okay. I bought it in 2018. In fact, October was our third birthday. I bought this company and the brand was so terrible, brother, that I could not get the realtors or the buyers to go in the houses. Now, when we bought the company, to be fair, the houses, were shit. I fire sold them all. I redesigned the product. I put more amenities than the custom home builders had. And I built beautiful floor plans. I actually was the only builder that got female draftsmen to go out and review all of my plans to make sure it fit what women wanted because guess who buys houses? Okay? Men may pay sometimes, but women buy them. And I knew that because I'm a good feminist. I know women like to shop, so I made a better fucking product, and I couldn't get anybody in. So check it out. Let me see if I can find this, because I'd love to show it to you. I did this formula for marketing, and I didn't know if it would work, but I was desperate. Nobody would show my houses. I borrowed like $8, 9000000 million. I had more risk associated with this business than any other business. Okay, And... This formula was 20 points controversy, 20 points current events, 20 points human emotions, humor and strings, and 20 points sex appeal. 30 points, your branding call to action. Total of 110 points. This is during the Jeffrey Epstein time in the news. I was desperate. I don't necessarily recommend you go this extreme, but I couldn't get people to walk into my fucking houses. I need to sell some houses. So I got a girl in a pretty red dress, and I put her in front of the house. With that sign, brother, that sign, you can read it for me.
0: Yeah, come inside says, me.
1: come inside me. My brand and call to action was just come inside the house. Come inside the house. Girl in a pretty red dress. Sex appeal. Call to action. Check. Sex appeal. Check. Controversy. Check, 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 check. Right? I don't recommend going this far. Current events. Was sex in the current events when Jeffrey Epstein was in there? Uh-huh. Yeah, and he probably spelled come differently than I did. I said C-O-M-E, which meant, you know, come here. Like, not not. not. But let me tell you what, bro, I triggered every sexually repressed person on the fucking planet. I had people all over the country. I got 40,000 views in an hour, let alone a day. I sold six houses the next day, bro. My company turned around a company that did 30 houses three years ago, literally, I don't know, we're probably doing three fifty this year and we're not even four. So just to tell you, like it, it works. Let me go. Let me go. I'm going to just chime in and, uh, you know, mess this up. They're actually doing a, an operations meeting right now while I'm asking you. What will you pay me from Zia Homes, our baby company, this year, Viviana? This is my CEO for you. What would you pay me? Is it 10 million, 15 million? What are, what are you going to cut me a check for at the end of the year? Uh, I think it would probably be about 13.5, somewhere around there. Brand new baby company using a marketing grading scale. Every single one of your listeners on here just got a $13.5 million net income lesson for free. Because you had me on your podcast,
0: yeah, and see, that's why I bring in great guests because they bring that value.
1: Mark, great gentlemen, man. Don't be worried about pissing people off with this one caveat: you're telling the truth, and you're authentic, and you have a genuine mission. If those three things are true, don't worry about pissing people off. Because some people need to be pissed off; it's the only way they feel anything. It's the only emotion they know how to feel. They're not living on purpose.
0: Yeah. And it's like with that sign, you know, is it like controversial or is it technically trigger some people? Sure. Maybe. But at its base level, is it wrong on any level? Like, no, it's a house and we want you to come in and check it out. So it's like, you can be mad all you want, but it's, you're just wrong.
1: Yeah. If people are mad because they're wrong and you're right. What is the thing that all the gurus tell you? You want to be successful. Have a contrarian idea and be right. Man, don't listen to the mainstream. Go against the mainstream if the data tells you you're right. If the data says you're right and the mainstream's wrong, which, by the way, happens a lot. Every time the people that don't measure data that are always trading and like, emotional sabotage. And by that, I mean like politicians, news pundits, social media influencers. I mean, these guys go out and create hate around everyone. They're not trading in data. They're trading in emotional. They're trading in entertainment. That's all they're worth for the the most part. Like, look, there's good ones, but 90% of them are shit, bro. And I'm not even trying to knock them. If somebody ever wants you to dislike somebody else, oh, you should be mad at them for this. You should be mad at them for that. There's no data behind it. There's no data behind that shit. When you get the data and you find a contrarian idea and you're right and you solve a problem and you have good intent,
0: you're going to be fucking rich because you solve a problem. That makes a lot of sense. I was going to skew real quick just so I could get in some of these plot points I wanted to hit through our, our interview. You had a really interesting video that said, hire slow, fire fast. And I was hoping you could explain that to some people and then I'll ask you a question.
1: Yeah, we pissed off a lot of people with that video fire fast. Okay, let me start there in business. There's who do you need? Who do you not? Need. And most of the time when I come in to coach a company, man, I find their brother-in-law or their sister-in-law or, you know, they've hired some uncle that's not doing shit. Everyone in a business has a role the business is a baby. A lot of times, immature people, especially family members and people that don't understand the nature of your relationship to your baby, your relationship to your business is that of a parent to a child. You're there to keep it alive. Anytime you have someone lecherous that is leeching off the company, even if you love them because they're a family member or you love them because they're a friend and don't hire your friends and don't hire the people with the same fucking skill sets as you. I have to go in and I have to help people, clean out people that shouldn't be there. Now, when I say fire fast, here's what I do. I go in, I create them a job description, a one-page sheet of paper that says, I need you to do these five or 10 things for the company. Get this shit done. If they don't do it, why are you paying them? Do you pay somebody because they exist or do you pay somebody for the function that they provide to you in the business? Hire slow, all that means is we need to go in and do some qualification. We need to understand who it is. Do the interview well. Does their personality fit the role that you're hiring them for? Like, say you have a sales-oriented, amazing person, and you're hiring them for an accounting position where they need to sit there and do numbers and send an Excel sheet. I mean, you don't have to have that much common sense to know that this person's going to be pouring from an empty cup really quick. They may have the right education to be an accounting person, But that doesn't mean that that's aligned to what you need them to do. Now, if they went out and opened an accounting firm and sold all these other people to come work for them and like became the sales division for the accounting firm while somebody else was crunching the numbers, that's probably the perfect person for a sales position to get an accounting company, more clients, but it's not a position for somebody to do your sales. I highly recommend go out and look into DISC, the DISC models, okay? Go out and look into Wonderlic software. It's amazing. Like it tells you this person will fit this role. So hire slow. It doesn't mean like hire slow. It means like, hey, you know what? Make sure the person aligns to the role. Okay. And then fire fast. What is your culture? Let's let's look at what culture is. What makes up culture in a business? The first four letters of culture, by the way, is cult. Well, what is a cult? It's a fucking organization with a mission, right? And you can have the weird cults like the David Koresh in Waco, Texas. Or you can have a business cult. What's a business cult? Hey, we solve a problem for somebody. We make money. If you're a landscaping business, people have dirty landscaping. You clean it. You cut the tree. Like, you make their yards look better. What business are you really in? You're in the business of beautifying houses. Think about it. Your culture is about that. You cultivate their landscaping. Okay? Cultivate means get shit done. So, organization with mission. Like, remove the trigger from the word. Now, what are the foundations of culture? Safety. How do you create safety? The leader goes first. The leader goes first, no different than the tip of the spear goes first. And everything behind that tip of the spear is safe. So, safety can only be created through the leader being dangerous enough to go first and fucking lead. Two, what's next? Production. You need to produce something. You're going to produce a lot of things for a few people or a few things for a lot of people. There's nothing wrong with either one. you got to pick what you're doing. What's next? Quality. People want to be involved in doing something good. They want to be involved in helping. They want to be involved in quality, right? What else? Transparency. Mission, vision, values. Where are we going? What's our mission? Who do we serve? Do I have a long-term position with this company, which goes back to safety, which relates to production, (laughs) which relates to quality? Do I feel safe here? And last one, tribal triggers. Do you know what a tribal trigger is, by the way? I don't. Let me show you something. I'm sitting in my office. And behind me, I have this room where in in the middle of the office, look what I can do. I can crank the fucking music. Music is a tribal trigger. There's all sorts of tribal triggers. If you go to a sports game, somebody holds up that one hand, that finger, whatever it is, that's a tribal trigger. It's things that are identified. By the group, by the cult that is cultivating the thing that solves the problem for the customer. Well, do you know how powerful of a tribal trigger music is? When humans emerged as a species, homo sapiens sapien, what we are, there was this other species called Neanderthal man. Neanderthal man was bigger, stronger, faster, smarter. In other words, they could have killed us with a napkin. you know how we emerged as the dominant species? Tribal triggers. Our campfires had music. We had lutes. We had flutes. They sat down. They intermated with our women and our men. We bred them out of existence. We are the dominant species on this planet because they loved music. We are here because of fucking music. What are the tribal triggers in your culture? What binds everybody? What bonds everybody? And so let's go back to your initial question, which was all around higher, slow, fire, fast. If you have somebody that cripples culture, and culture is the foundation of your company, Like say you've got your brother-in-law in in your culture and he's this narcissistic asshole that doesn't do anything and plays blame game all the time and makes everybody else feel bad. Does anybody feel like they're going to advance in your company? Do they feel like you're a leader? No, because you're too much of a pussy to even handle that problem to create an environment where they can all work and be safe and advance and have a long term future. You're not dangerous. You're a pansy. You're weak. Get rid of that person. Honor the people that honor you. That's what I mean by Higher, slow, fire, fast.
0: Yeah, I like it. And just because you're, interestingly enough, you're the second person in a row who's brought up <coughs> disc assessments. What's your disc assessment score? Like, where do you sit?
1: Uh, so, d- changes. Okay? I am a high D, high I at this point. But I used to be a high C, okay? And I would go into high I, high D adaptively. But I was a high C and and kind of a lower I normally, and which which is weird. So in the last decade, I've changed. But but so is my life and so is my mission. And I believe because of that, this can change. Or maybe if somebody disagrees, maybe <laughs> emotionally. But then, and, and now I've, I don't care. I don't care what it is. But that's my journey. I was a high C. I was conscientious. I was organized. I was detail-oriented. I believed in processes, systems. And. And, and creating regenerative growth models and all of that. That stuff a C cares about is the conscientious details. Now I am massive D okay, for you know delegate, delegate. And then I'm an I for influence. I wanna make sure that I can get the point across, get the information across, delegate it, but I still have enough C in my background that I'll follow up and measure the people that I've hired to measure.
0: Yeah. No, it's interesting because you come across, you know, a lot of the things you say are very data driven, which is a very C behavior, uh, as I discussed with this other person that was on, and that's most of where I sit (laughs) is in there. And it sounds like, you know, as you moved up and you got people kind of doing some of the jobs that you were doing before, like you had to kind of push way harder into that, that delegating territory.
1: Yeah. Which was actually hard for me. I had to let go and, and as I've let go and I've allowed my C to measure measurers, which is another lesson in business, you never get long-term success until you train your replacement. Most people are afraid to train their replacement, but you don't train your replacement because you're being replaced for bad reasons all the time. Sometimes you train your replacement because you're being replaced for good reasons. If the company is growing, you should train your replacement because if you don't, you have altered the company's growth. If you're the first person to train your replacement when the company is growing, you're also the first person to get promoted. Nobody thinks about that. Everybody's like, oh, I better protect my position. So I had to train my replacements. Like, if we go talk to Viviana, my CEO over there, she is a see. I met and hired somebody that had my disc. Only well, I also hired a woman with my disc. And there's a very specific reason for this, okay? Do, do you know one of the biggest Differences between men and women outside of like genitalia and like you know tone of voice and muscle tones. Focus. Men have extreme focus. Like we are tunnel vision. We're hunters, right? Women have a different focus. These are developed over like forty thousand years of human history. Women have this thing called diffused awareness. It's so brilliant. We don't realize. Like a lot of times men don't understand the differences between them and women and women definitely don't understand the differences between them and men. We're complex, unique organisms. This is one of the reasons I think people should study psychology more because it's not a theory. It's a fucking science. Men 40,000 years ago went hunting and they will hunt something that could kill them back. So them not paying attention could get them killed. Right? So what do they do? They developed the ability to hone. In fact, almost every woman on earth has bitched about her man, not listening to her. He can't hear you woman. He's neurologically wired to not fucking hear you because he's paying attention to some shit. You want his attention, put your hand on his shoulder, touch him, you'll have attention immediately. His brain is neurologically wired to cut off the ears because he's focused on whatever he's attacking. Women, on the other hand, 40,000 years of history, they would go out into a meadow. They would gather nuts, roots, berries, fruits. One berry nourishes your children, another kills your children. You think they may have needed to get that shit right the first time and never fuck it up? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Because just like the animal could kill them back, the berry will kill their kids, probably even more pain. So women developed diffused awareness, which means they literally have a feeling recognition for their environments. They're better communicators. They're better at identifying like anything going on around them because they can feel the environment. If, 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 if Viviana's running the company and say like Susie's getting a divorce, Viviana can feel that there's something wrong with Susie, goes and talks to her, makes sure she knows she cares, which she does. And then Susie feels a little better and is productive. Or maybe send Susie home and go, go, go handle it, go do what you got to do, and then come back when you're whole. Like the, a woman is better at measuring the environment. Women have advanced massively in the management slash measurement world. I hire women to run all of my companies. In fact, all my companies are run by women except one. You know which one's the most disorganized?
0: The one uh, not uh, ran by a woman.
1: <laughs> nice. When we recognize these gifts that, that are like, added in the tenders, oh my gosh, there's so much power. I mean, I am a good feminist because of the way that women run my companies.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. And thank you for taking that tangent with me. So you're talking about cultures and I love that because you hammered on some really good things that like you need to have in your cultures what are the worst possible things that a culture can like harbor or a, a company can harbor in its culture?
1: So there's, there's more of them than I could probably go into in a 10 hour podcast.
0: Um,
1: I'm going to, I'm going to answer that by giving maybe a formula. Cause I gave you guys the foundations of culture. Like you have the five foundations of culture, which was earlier. Let me give you the business formula. Okay. This is the business formula that's made me, ridiculously wealthy. I mean, my 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 bankers tell me now, oh, you're you're a centimillionaire. I don't know what the fuck that means. I don't have a hundred million dollars cash. Hold my companies. Apparently, I'd be worth more than a hundred million dollars. And and because cash isn't king anymore, guys, it's cash flow. It's assets. Like I have enough assets, I have enough businesses, puts me in centimillionaire. I'd love to tell you I can teach you how to be a billionaire. Can't fucking do that. But I can teach you how to be worth north of a hundred million dollars. And it's gonna be this formula. This formula. Easy, simple, clean. One, there's three goals to a business, okay? Alignment, simplicity, and foresight. Alignment, simplicity, and foresight. What is simplicity? Simplicity is path of least resistance. Say I'm going to sell you this bottle of water, okay? This bottle of water is a dollar. You drink water, right? Yeah. Would you buy this? Sure. Yeah. Now, I want you to go through fucking 10 applications You have to see a doctor, an alien's going to fucking probe you anally. And then this bottle of water is a dollar, but I got this bottle of water over here, $10. You can have it right now. Would you take the fucking dollar bottle of water with the anal probe or the $10 bottle of water?
0: I mean, I guess it depends on the day I'm having, but uh, most times $10.
1: (laughs) So simplicity is path of least resistance. Every Everybody at some point is going to be like, fuck it, man. I just, just, give me my problem solved now. I don't want to deal with complexity. So simplicity is critical in a business. Alignment. Does your, your, your team fit your customers' needs? Okay. Like here's the best way to explain alignment. What does everyone in a business want? Same shit. Everybody wants the same shit. Certainty of success. If you're the customer, you want a certainty of success. that The problem's going to solve the problem or the sales going to solve the problem that you had, right? The owner wants certainty of success that business is going to work. The employees are going to do their job. The customer is going to be served and he's going to get paid, right? The employees want a certainty of success. They're going to have a compelling place to work and they want to get a paycheck for the work they do. Everybody wants the same fucking shit, certainty of success. So alignment is critical. Alignment and simplicity are what I call the twin sisters of optimization. Optimization, not organization, optimization, not exceptional optimization, okay? Being exceptional helps you refine who you are, being optimized helps you create a regenerative growth machine interminable Okay, that that can go on forever. Last one, foresight. And pardon the analogy, when you're a small business, you don't need forecasting, which is long-term vision. You need foresight. It's not like foreskin. It's only about six inches ahead of you. If you're driving, look out the fucking front window. Don't look two miles down the road. You'll die. What kills you in business is the same shit that kills you in life. The shit you don't see coming, right? So these three goals, do you manage these well as a small business? Once you get to big business, you have to add forecasting. That's 10 to 25 million in revenue, okay? But for now, let's leave it out. And then we measure four things, culture, clarity, capacity, cash, okay? Imagine those as legs on a table. And those legs support the table. What's the table's purpose? To hold shit, right? So on the table, you have alignment, simplicity, and foresight. Imagine this blast of the water. Now you have four legs, one here, one here, one here, one here, they're called culture, clarity, capacity, cash. Now, what are those resting on? This thing called the market, right? Well, let me ask you, what is the market doing? It's always changing, right? The environment's always changing. Did COVID change the market if you're a hotel or a restaurant business? Yeah, it came and sheared off some fucking legs. Your capacity, okay, went to shit because you couldn't have people in the restaurant. Your cash flow went to shit, culture, clarity, capacity, cash. You would have the best culture, best communication, Capacity and cash went to shit. So what happened to your table? Got wonky, started leaning. Now you're like, oh shit, I gotta put that shit back on the table because guess what? The tables surface turn and now everything's sliding off. So you're trying to ram it back on and you are running into your business. And so what do you have to do? Resupport those legs. Go get, become a member of Uber Eats, become a member of DoorDash, become a member of this. Start selling your product in a different way. You have to pivot, you have to change. So those four legs rest on the market. You take a problem, you drop it into the surface. Is this an alignment problem, simplicity problem, foresight problem? So this formula I'm giving you is really not a formula. It's a filter. And then, okay, we have an alignment problem. Where is it? Culture, clarity, capacity, cash, or a mix, right? Oh, okay. So we have a capacity issue uh, and we have a cash issue. Okay. So what do we do? Well, you can adjust one of six things. Price, product, people, place, promotion, process. Price, product, people, place, promotion, or process. These are only six things that can change in a business, brother. Only six. My wife has got 150 dials that she can dust in her fucking makeup drawer. She can be a different woman Friday nights and she is Sunday morning, Friday night woman's a lot more fun, but 150 dials. That's complex. I don't want that complexity in my business. There's six dials. You can fucking adjust. That's it. That's all you got to do. You follow that formula, Colton, you get rich and you get rich, you get free. Where do you get a philanthropist from? It's from a broke guy or a rich guy.
0: I mean, it's from a rich guy every time.
1: Where do you get a teacher from? Is it from an ignorant guy or a smart?
0: Smart person.
1: But once you reach the highest levels of anything, become a giver, become somebody that serves. You honor the world. Holy fuck. We should do more of that. It's a good idea, huh? I mean, all you got to do is follow that formula.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it's one of those things that's like, it's so simple. You have, you know, stage one, there is one card and it is your business. You move down one level. There are four cards, right? And then you can move down one more level. There are six cards, you could fit it in your pocket if you laminated them all. Like every time you ran into an issue, you could just put all the cards on the table and go, all right, which one's bad?
1: I will, um, after this call, have Jesse send you all of these documents. I have them in documents. You can literally fold them and put it in your pocket. The four flows capacity, I told you it's a document. A competitor analysis, where you literally go and you measure the success leaves your competitors, one document. And then I have that business for me. I've got like 10 others, but just those three, they'll be worth 10, $20 million if you do that shit for 10 years. And that's a guarantee. Everybody will. Like if, if you follow this science, like success is not a secret. There's not one secret. There's a science. What is the science? A hypothesis, you test, make it a constant. It's not like these fucking idiots that, that are in politics talk science. Oh, masks. Oh, vaccines. Oh, science, science, science. It's like, okay, can you give me some science that's a fucking constant? We call a hypothesis and then a constant. If the constant's always changing, it's not a science, motherfucker. Hypothesis constant. That's science, okay? Like, And then we got all the politicians that keep saying science. I'm like, shut the fuck up. Somebody needs to punch you in the face for lying. I just want to hear them say one thing consistently for six months. And then I'll be like, okay, maybe that's a science. This is a science, bro. It's a science. When you follow this formula, it creates a science around money. And you know what? You solve your money problems, you get to spend more time becoming a better human being. You get to travel more. You get to see the world. Man, I used to think this country was a terrible place. I listened to all the fucking news and I thought America was shit. Man, I started traveling and I saw people that didn't have drinking water. People defecating outside. People living with like horrible diseases and frankly dying. And just being laid out next to a fucking river in India. Like crazy shit that you see. We live in the best place in the world and we hate it because we don't know. We don't travel. I mean, dude, like if you use this formula. You get rich, you get free money. Won't buy you happiness. That's true, but neither will poverty. So let's all go get rich and solve more fucking problems for people.
0: Yeah. One formula,
1: a One formula, everybody gets to be a deck of millionaires. They just follow that formula.
0: Yeah. And suddenly we can start actually solving problems, uh, complaining about them all the time. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, sorry, to just skew wildly. That's my, that's my method behind the interview It just shifts super abruptly.
1: Tells me I'm ADD or ADD depending on the day. So like, let's you brother, like take me, let's go boom. boom. All
0: right. Do you ever give advice to employees on like how to get away from the the bottom of the totem pole?
1: Fuck yeah. Absolutely. I got my videographer sitting right here. Okay. Hey, Richard, do you have a side business? Do I encourage you to? Absolutely. Do I tell you that you should fucking leave me one day and make more fucking money? Yes. Do I do that with everyone? Yeah. All right. So your job, brother. As a business owner, is to teach freely, be transparent, be honest. My employees choose to work here. They don't have to work here. They all get the same fucking information that all of my clients that I coach in business get. They choose to work here. Your job is to create the opportunity that is so good that they could go out and compete with you, but make it so good in your house they don't want to. Richard can go make as much or more money than I pay him, but he likes me. And sometimes he doesn't like because I'm hard on him, but he knows he's growing. He knows this is good for him. And so he stays. And look, one day he probably won't and I'll hire somebody else. But imagine this idea, because I I know there's all this scarcity around like teaching your people, right? Oh, I shouldn't teach them. They might become a competitor. Man, I've created so many competitors. You know, there is a line out the fucking door to work for me. Like if you go on my TikTok post. How many of those comments are like, can I Can I work for you? Can I work for you? People want to work for me because A, I overpay people. Okay. I give them salary plus. So like whatever the market is, the market for your job is 40 grand. I give you fucking 44. If the market's a hundred grand, I give you 110. Then I give you bonuses. So everybody knows I pay well because I have a brand and I make a lot of money. So I pay people more money. Then I share the profits and then I teach them everything. They can leave. They can open their own business. I don't hate them if they go. I honor them if they go. And I got a line out the door that wants to replace them. Because if you help enough people, everybody wants to be helped. Everybody wants to be helped. I had a, a lady call me wanting me to coach her the other day. Like she got referred to me by a guy that I used to coach. Um, and, and he is just blown up. Fucking 28 year old kid. Now he's a DECA millionaire. I coached him three years ago. He had a failing business. Uh, now he's a DECA millionaire. His name's Clinton Flores. You can look him up. He's the real estate monster. It's his brand. Badass motherfucker. So he refers this girl to me, coach her. You know what my first step is when somebody reaches out and wants me to coach them? I ignore them. I ignore them. Then when they call back and hustle my ass, which this girl, Ohana, did she hustled me. Like, so I'll get 30 people reach out. Hey, will you coach me? Will you coach me? And I'm not cheap. I'm not a cheap coach. I'm expensive. Like the gym is free. I give everyone the gym. It's free. But for coaching, my time's valuable. Why? Because I'm taking it away from my kids. I'm taking it away from opportunities like I have right now with you, brother, where I'm talking, where you're going to share this content to more people. I don't give a shit if the content gets shared. I'm not going to go sue somebody for using my content. I hope everybody takes it. It's fucking free. Information should be free. I want this out there. I want the money problems in the world to be fucking solved. If I'm coaching somebody, I have less time to talk to you where you're going to go help how many fucking people. So I do charge for that. But she chased me down. She like beat my fucking door down. I ignored her twice. Then she comes in. Once somebody's in my coaching, bro, there's three rules. Every week, you will provide me what is your goal, what are you doing to accomplish the goal, and what did you measure from last week's goal. I need those three things. If you don't provide those three things, I don't need your money. I won't take your money. I fire you out of my coaching program. I only coach winners. We've created a culture of fucking gangsters. They're badasses, And everybody in the coaching goes up, 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 up. Everyone, everyone. And the losers get thrown out. Why? Because they're choosing that. Everything needs to be that way. You'd be transparent with everybody, bro. My, my employees get the same shit as my coaching clients. Hey, Richard, do I ever hard on you if you don't deliver exactly what I want? Yes. When I'm paying you an income, what do I expect from the income? The job I was paid to do. Outcome gives you an income. Me paying you is not paying you because I love you. I do love you. But that's not what I fucking paid. I paid for an outcome. If you went to a car dealership and bought a fucking car, guess what? You wanted an outcome. You wanted some shit to drive. Richard is more expensive than a fucking car. I want an outcome. Now, do I love him? Yeah, I love him as my brother. But giving someone money and loving someone is not the same shit. He's got to give me an outcome for the income I give him. It's trade.
0: No, it makes perfect sense. And it's great to see, you know, someone like you have this, this place where they can actually build, you know, a supportive network where you're like, Hey, I do support my employees and I treat them very well, but they're going to work their ass off for me, you know, that kind and of thing, did- because there's a lot of places where, you know, you can go to work and I won't name any of them because I've worked for some of them. Where it's like, no matter what you put into it, you're just stuck in this position. Cause they're like, well, if I treat him, he's going to replace me. And I can't, I got to make sure I keep him at the bottom. Yeah. And that sucks to run into because I mean, I think the only, uh, I mean, you're the guy with all the knowledge, but I feel like the only thing you can do is just get out.
1: You know, you got to get out of the employee. You Got to get out. I mean, your salary. Is the amount of money you took to give up on your dreams and build mine. It's the bribe. Richard's sitting right here hearing me say that too. I say that in front of every fucking person I work with. Now, Richard, you get glorious bonuses, right? Like I mean, he just got a bonus check. He's he's a videographer, by the way. Like the market for a videographer in El Paso is like, you know, probably 35 grand. Okay. He just got a bonus check, not his fucking salary, a bonus check. Because I give him bonuses based on what he's doing on my social media for $12,500 this month. So, I mean, he ain't hurting. He made a lot of fucking money. His bonus, which his salary is better than market, his bonus is fantastic. So is he looking to jump right now? No, he's going to ride me up and open his own business. I'm fucking excited for him. No issue with if he ever chooses to leave. Everyone should be successful. Success is independently defined. I have employees that may want to just be my employee forever. They have no financial goals. They they can make twenty five hundred a month at doing secretarial work, and then get a bonus of another fifteen grand a year doing that. Like so, I mean, shit, they're making forty five grand a year being a secretary, right? Not terrible in El Paso, where the median income is like thirty five grand. Or when you're making forty five as a one one individual, and and so but they just want to stay. They don't ever want to open a business. They don't want the risk. That's okay too, but you should give people choices. You give people the truth and you let them go where their heart desires. And if somebody has a financial goal, some people don't and that's okay. And some people do, okay? There's different people in the world. Nobody's wrong. But if somebody does and you withhold their opportunity, you take away what should be a God-given right by hiding information. You're preventing them from living on purpose for your scarcity. Do you know what living on purpose is, bro? What's that? Would you ever choose to be angry? No. Would you ever choose to be depressed? No. Then why are you sometimes?
0: Yeah, that's a good point.
1: <laughs> Everyone, right? But the, if you start understanding the idea of living on purpose and you give yourself true information, true data, you know. I'll I'll, I'll tell you a story real quick. We can go into living on purpose, kind of segue out of business a little bit and into psychology because psychology matters to business. I was at a seminar one time, and this is a week and a half after my father passed away. I'd never lost anyone. I didn't know what loss was. I'd never had a problem that big that I couldn't solve. I was watching The Walking Dead at the time, and I remember thinking frequently, I felt more empty inside than the zombies on that TV show looked. I'd never lost anyone. I'm sitting at this seminar, and the speaker is talking to a young lady a few seats away from me. She's lost someone, okay? Like, just like me, she's lost someone. And he says, uh, You're not suffering in the fact, you're suffering in the perception of the fact. And I wrote it down, but I didn't understand what it meant. So he clarified. A week and a half after my father passed, he clarified for her, he said, You're not suffering because they're gone, you're suffering because you expect them to still be. Bro, oh, I wrote down expectations for the mother of all suffering. Expectations, your expectations, what you're attached to, is why you suffer. It's why you have pain. It's why you get angry. And a lot of times, if it's stuff that you can control, but you're choosing not to, oh my God. I was dishonoring my own father by making it about me. I was depressed and emotional and all this. What did I need to be doing? I needed to be helping my mother. I needed to be helping my sister. I needed to be helping my brother. I needed to be showing strength. I needed to be dangerous enough to step the fuck up, but I couldn't because I was empty. And when I realized that I was only hurting because I expected him to still be alive, I wasn't honoring him. The man lived a beautiful life. He raised an amazing, He, he lived well, he fucking died well. He went to sleep. They had a date with my mom the night before. This is a man that should be honored. I shouldn't be regretting this. I should be looking at the man who died, you know, old age, in his sleep, the way we'd all want to go, and honoring him. Instead, I was shitting on his life and making it about me. And it was a beautiful moment because it dropped my anger. It dropped my fear. It, like, washed off, like, like, like dirt in the shower. Like, you go get a mud cloth thrown at you. You're a little dirty. You go shower. It comes off. It comes right off. And I was able to step up and be the person I needed to for my loved ones. I was able to help them. I started living on purpose, which that's the real goal, man. It ain't business. It ain't money. It ain't financial success. That's all good shit, but it's all of it. And when you can go out and give love at a higher level, if you actually understand what love is, you can change lives. In fact, nobody can carry three people on their backs but you can lift the whole fucking world do you know what love is brother let's talk let's talk love in business because this will trigger your fucking people and it might get them to listen and even better it might get them to be, okay love is four levels there's four levels of love love can be measured no different than you can measure a business you have dependent love love is a need we don't get it children don't receive love when they're in the hospital when they're born they'll die it's called failure to thrive it's a medical condition you can look at Dependent love. It's a need. No different than food, water, air. Somebody doesn't receive love, they become like those kids at Columbine that murdered people. They will lash out for attention if they don't receive love. People need love. Two, conditional love. A transaction. We all demonize it. We demonize a transaction. What's a transaction, bro? It's a transfer of action. A transfer of action. Every single thing in human society for 40,000 years of our history is built on the foundation of transactions. If for no reason you stop by the grocery store tonight and buy flowers for your wife on your home, when you get home, you have transferred action. You have showed love. You have demonstrated you care. A transaction in conditional let's say dependent love, the lowest conditional love, it's like a job. Hey, I'm going to hire you. I'm going to give you money, but I have an expectation of getting something back, right? So imagine like a staircase, dependent love, step one transactional love why should we demonize this anything you demonize owns you then there's the next one which we all like unconditional love. that's what a parent feels for their child that's what you get to feel for everyone when you stop thinking transactionally i unconditionally love richard over here i unconditionally love viviana you your listeners even if i don't fucking know you why because we're children of god we're all the same we're here, we die, we're fucking all on this mission together. We're on this journey together doing some shit, right? You can unconditionally love your fellow man. And then last divine, this is loving the people that hate you. This is Christ on the cross looking down at men, casting lots for his clothes, saying, Father, forgive them for they oh not what they do. Well, if these are the four levels of love and our job in life is to figure out how to mature through these levels, where do we start? We start at the bottom, right? When you're a baby, you need fucking love. Then your mom tells you, clean your room or I'm mad at you. Well, we learn transactional love, transactional love. We learn that as employees in a business. Hopefully with our wife and our children, we start learning unconditional love. We love you even if you're wrong. How do you measure love? Well, you love someone as much as you are willing to suffer for them. Does that make sense? So so, say Richard doesn't do his job, I'll fire Richard. Does that mean I hate Richard? No, I love him unconditionally as a human being, but I'm not going to fucking pay him for not doing his job. There's a difference between these two things. Divine love, loving the haters. I appreciate my haters. Everyone that blows on my post, everyone that makes negative comments on your podcast here, I love them. They're going to blow you up. They're going to blow me up. More people are going to see my brand. More people are going to see you if people hate what I said. I love them. They're awesome. So you also got to look for paradoxes. Paradoxes show you truth. There's a love paradox. In fact, there's a God paradox. Can God create a rock so big he couldn't lift it? trick question but then you look at it can god die well no but if you're christian he did for your sins weird huh so anywhere where there's a paradox there's truth there's a love paradox and the love paradox is if you show love unconditionally and they reciprocate you've gone from a line to a circle a circle has no end you have a relationship you stay together do they have to reciprocate are you expecting a reciprocate no Unconditional love is an offer, a transfer of action with no expectation of reciprocation. But when they do reciprocate, you have a relationship. The paradox is you need reciprocation. You need the reciprocation to create a bond and a long-term relationship. But what if we implied this with our customers? What if we implied this with our marriages? Fuck, the divorce rate would go down. Your customer satisfaction would go through the roof. People don't understand this shit. But you know what? When I said faith, family, fitness, finance, if family. Is love and love expressed that kind of relates to finance if we're going to work with people and we want to treat them decently right we should honor that i know i've gone like way off on a tangent but you you're you're a smart guy and i can see that you're registering so like normally i wouldn't go that deep on a fucking podcast but fuck it it's fine
0: no i think it's good and i think it's like i love to hear the the tangent and exactly where it goes and the beautiful thing about this is it's recorded if people don't understand it they can just come back and listen to it again yeah <laughs> like Hey, just cause I pick it up in the moment. Doesn't mean you have to rewind it, you know, a couple minutes, listen to it again. <laughs> it's pretty easy. It's right there for you and it always will be. So yeah, no, it's good. And it's one of those that you're like, you know, you can love those people and respect those people and not be willing to like take a bullet for your hater, you know, that same level you're like, I understand that there is a separation and it doesn't mean I have to, you know, hate this person and their existence. I just don't need to support them.
1: Exactly right.
0: That's beautiful. And uh, I think it's a great, great segment to like, you know, I have some, some nonsense that I was like, I could push through some of this, but I think that's an amazing takeaway. And I always like to end with a really good takeaway. And one of the things I really enjoyed about listening to some of your stuff is that your advice comes with a reading list. You're like, Hey, if you want to be successful, despite, you know, whatever other information is out there, here's three good places to start. How do you like, you know, if you want to read, these are three books that made a major impact on me or the way I think, or the way that you're going to see the market if you're opening a business. So I'd love for you to plug those as well.
1: Um, and 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 the ones that I put on on TikTok, I do believe in those, but I'm going to give you three new ones if that's okay.
0: Ooh, I well, love it.
1: Two new ones, okay. Yeah. Ah, I, I... I'm going to give you a couple. I'm going to give you a couple. They might be new. They might be similar. But I think the ones I put on TikTok was Think and Grow Rich, The 10X Rule, and um, Keith Cunningham's book, which was The Road Less Stupid. That's what I put on TikTok. Massively impactful. There's a couple others that I would like to also plug, though, because some of my favorites this year. One, who, not how. Everybody gets into the tyranny of how. You need to figure out who you need in your business. Who do you need? Who do you not need? You get the right who, it's not about what you pay them, okay? You can pay them all the money in the world, they'll make you more. The best who's find a way to pay their salary first and make you rich. Who do you need? Who not help? brilliant book. Um, another book, The Goal by Eli Goldratt, okay? And I mean, shoot man, his information on capacity, the theory of constraints. I mean, what's funny is I've always taught the four flows of capacity. I learned my own four flows at a higher level reading his book. Okay, I love the way it's presented in my four flows. Like I didn't move away from the way I presented it, but his theory of constraints is still to this day taught in colleges at business school. And he was a business guy. Okay. So that book from a capacity standpoint, genius, love it. And then tax free wealth by Tom Wheelwright, because the other books that I recommended first, they'll get you into business, they'll make you a creator, you know. They'll they'll create success on that level. Like how do you grow a flower? You know, here's a here's a fun analogy that I love to use. You grow a flower by taking wannabe flower, seed, you shove it into a deep pile of shit, call it fertilizer if we like to be politically correct, or also called liars. That's what political correctness is. You shove a seed into a pile of shit. You shove a seed into a problem. Who wants to be buried in shit? Problems are gifts. Add water. Water is life. And then it grows. People lean down later, six inches above a pile of shit to smell a flower. Nobody thinks about that. But those first three books, the ones on TikTok, they'll get you into the soil. They'll create the problems and the growth and the opportunity for the seed to become the flower. The next three books give you the ability to take that flower and seed an entire garden. Because they're getting rich and they're snitch. And if you love your children or your wife more than you love the IRS, you'll read those next three books and you'll go out and you'll create opportunities for everyone because of what you're creating.
0: And that I think is a, a good way to leave people with something to do. Give them a call to action and send them on their way. I appreciate your time so much. I know I've kept you here like an hour and a half, so I greatly appreciate your time. Where can people find you if they're looking for you?
1: So my website is the Preston Brown, the Preston Brown. I don't like that, but we couldn't find it without the the, because somebody else had my name and they were a famous football player. So they beat me. Um, But the Preston Brown, I mean, you can find me on TikTok. You can find me on Instagram, same handles. And then of course, anybody that wants those documents, message me. Probably on Instagram is the easiest. And I'll send you those documents. If you want coaching, I mean, go to my website. There's a little button, you can click it and realistically, I just hope everybody uses it. Uh, I'd like to do something for you, though. People aren't sharp enough to catch all those points that quickly. And I, I, I you know, I study psychology. I was watching your face as we were going through it. You're registering everything. Man. You're fucking brilliant. Um, if you're open, I would love to give you a free month in my coaching company, Your Best Business, just to help you scale your podcast even further and go out and take over the world more. Because I love working with smart people.
0: Hell yeah. Why not?
1: Message. I'll message. I'll, I'll connect you with my partner. My gift to you. Thanks for helping me spread my content.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much.
1: Brother, appreciate you. You have an amazing day on purpose.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Remember to pretty please share this show with people you know. It's the best shot we've got at making this show more recognized and more popular, which will of course get us even more amazing guests. Rate the show on Spotify or iTunes, it boosts the podcast up in the rankings, like today where we are the number four show in education on Podbean. Reach out to the email, dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com, or any of the socials for this show if you want to ask questions or request any topics. Plans for Austin, Texas in mid-February are still being finalized, but I'm hoping for the 9th through the 16th if I can swing it. Also, Atlanta, Georgia, 10th to the 14th. Come hang out in either place if you're nearby. I enjoyed my previous trips and hanging out with the listeners in Florida and Nahalans. Alright, I'm gonna try and do a drum roll with my hands and my desk today since I'm too short on time to learn digital music programs for now. And the leaderboard for January finalizes with the following Number one, the United States. Losing ground every day to my now more than 50 countries internationally. Number two, the United Kingdom gaining some huge traction towards number one. Number three, Canada, and a big thanks to my Canadians fans who reached out recently. It's always so cool to hear from fans, especially when it's like an entirely different country than where I live. That's crazy to me, and I love it. Number four, like a dark horse in the night, Germany. Rocketing to the top of the list from seemingly nowhere. Donka, everyone. And finally, number five for the first month of 2022, Iran. Boxing out Australia for the first time ever. Alright, well I hope you enjoyed this episode and all this other stuff. I'll see you in the next one. Bye bye